Thanks, Anna, for reading that passage. Appreciate that. Well, good morning again. This morning we continue our series, Why? The Why series. I think we're going to do a couple more after this and then some other things before we uh, head towards Easter. Easter, we're thinking Easter already. It's kind of crazy. I feel like we just had Christmas and we're moving into March soon, aren't we? Time flies, doesn't it? But we're in the middle of this Why series, a series in which we are asking, asking good questions about, for the most part, church life. Church life. And why we do certain things the way we do them. We want Bethany Church. I hope for Bethany Church. I want it to be a place, a safe place, you might even say, to explore, to ask questions. For you to be able to invite those that you know in your life that, don't even, that are not quite sure about Christianity, where they could come and not feel ashamed to say, hey, I don't get this. Or even to say, maybe you've been here a long time, or, I'm struggling. We want Bethany Church to be that kind of place where we can ask questions, and hopefully a series like this kind of paves that way, paves that way. Whether you're wrestling with your doubt about faith, exploring Christianity for the first time, or just want to ask questions like, why do you practice believer's baptism? We talked about last week, or why do we go for a a blended worship style here at church? Good questions to ask, or why do we once a month get together and drink juice and eat crackers? Why do we do that? That's next week, so come for that one. Why do we do that? Well, this morning it is, why does Bethany Church practice church membership? Or you might even say, why does Bethany Church practice, you might even say the word formal, formal church membership. So today is the why of church membership. It's a great question to ask, one that we should talk about and ask about from time to time as we're going to be hosting another membership class uh, beginning April 15th. Uh, you know, in a church our size this morning, I realize that across the generations, as we ask this question, there's a, a possibility of a variety of opinions on church membership. A few might say, I see it as absolutely necessary, uh, church membership. It's absolutely ne- necessary for the life of a church. Yeah, we need to have it. While a few might say, well, you know, totally optional and you know, I'm not even sure about that. I don't really like the idea. Probably, though, most of us probably fall somewhere in the middle and we say, well, I understand I'm supposed to be involved in my church, but I'm, I'm pretty regular and I'm involved, and so I kind of get membership, but I, let's not give it too much attention or obsess over it, you know, it, and it's kind of my choice anyways whether I would be I'm involved here or not, and so we're probably somewhere more like in the middle, most of us, like that. This morning... I want to present a vision for church membership with the hopes that we'll grow together in our understanding of what church is, what is church, and what it means to identify with a local body, that's Bethany Church now, a local body within the big universal church, Bethany Church, and how blessing comes even to us as we mutually submit to one another. I want to help us raise the meaningfulness of what church membership is, so grab your outline, have your Bible open. We're going to jump around a bit in this series. We're a little more jumping around. This morning we're going to look through four lenses, we're calling them, four lenses to get a clear picture of what we're talking about when we say church membership. And here's our first one, recalibrating our understanding of church membership. What is it? And maybe recalibrating a bit this morning what we think about it 
if you want to sound really, I mean really countercultural, talk about church membership. <laughs> Begin to talk about church membership. You know, some of you might be looking at me today going like, what is he talking about? Why would, he give, why, why would we want to give a whole Sunday to this? A whole Sunday? Or you might be thinking, ah, another pastor trying to kind of assert his authority or his preference on how to do church life. All right, all right. I'll sit through this one. Um, you might be wrestling with some of those thoughts. And this why series is okay to kind of be honest with where we're at actually with these questions. But you know, there's, nothing, there's almost nothing that flies more in the face of our Western, kind of individualistic, self-sufficient culture as formal church membership. It flies in the face of our culture. I mean, it's hard for me to even think about having a relationship. Any relationship, is this you too? Any relationship to a group or an organization that's not absolutely voluntary. We can't even think of a concept of a place where God might require of us a relationship. We're so used to just every relationship in our life is absolutely voluntary. And anytime I want to walk away, it's okay. Until we come to our church life. God has set up something different. It's hard to think of that way, isn't it? Add to the fact that some churches, some churches have abused their authority. Some leaders have abused their authority, which has made people, some people, suspicious of pastors, suspicious of churches, suspicious of institutions, which we are in general in our culture. Especially when we're called, we're called here to lead as servants. You know this passage from Matthew 20 you see coming up on the screen. You know, the Gentiles, he said, they lord it over in their leadership. They lord it over. But in the middle there, he says, it shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life, life as a ransom for many. Leaders are to lead and love for the good of the people. For the good of the people. And serve. And that's really, that's for all of us. He's called all of us, Jesus, to follow his pattern of service and laying down his life for others. That's all of us who are here living in community to serve one another. Jesus is our model. Who served by dying for our, our sins. So how would then, how would church membership fit into that? How does it fit? My first real job uh, at, a, uh, I guess at the end of high school when I started to work was for um, Blockbuster Video. You remember those? Yeah. And I was l- the lucky one. I just turned 18 and they said, hey, because you're 18, we'll give you 450 instead of 425 because you can do the 1 a.m. shift. And I went, really? Okay. <laughs> we used to have those stores. You remember, we could go and like uh, rent a movie we had those stores where you could go and buy something called a CD. Remember that? That was so weird, wasn't it? We don't have those anymore, do we? Uh, well, the least favorite part of my job was getting someone's membership set up. Getting that membership set up. It kind of was the most tedious thing we had to do there. Uh, you had to get their, uh, they'd come up, they'd fill out a form, check their ID, get them a membership card, laminate it, tell them all the benefits of what they would get out of their membership. And tell them, return it on time. Right, remember that? And rewind, be kind, rewind was the other one. Um, tell them all the benefits of their, their, their membership. Too many of us, I think, 
view church membership like the memberships we know of in our life. The memberships we know of, like uh, Blockbuster or Costco. There's one for us that's still around. It'll probably be forever after we're all gone. Costco or your gym membership. That's another one that's still around. As the, a voluntary kind of association we associate with, sometimes loosely. And, you know, if, if, if anybody in that place or association bugs me or annoys me, I can kind of find another club down the road and walk on. When Paul says, in the passage Anna read, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You're part of something. You're part of something. Now, it's not to say at times there aren't good reasons for changing your association with the church. There are. There are some good reasons. But as we look at membership today, we need to recalibrate. We need to use God's Word to see what it means to be part of something bigger than us, a member of a church. And there's two things I want us to see in this first lens. The first one's this. Rather than view the church or church membership uh, as, as a, a club or a Costco, we should see it as Jesus saw it. So let's take a look. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus. Go therefore, he said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, that was last week, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'll be with you, he says. I'll be with you as you do this to the end of the age. What is Jesus doing here? We know this passage. We're familiar with it. We call it the great what, you know? Commission. Yeah, you guys got that. The great commission. What's he doing here? Jesus is saying, I am the authority over this world. All authority has been given to me. All of it. That's Jesus. And as the one who has all authority, I'm investing it in you, my disciples, the church. I'm investing it in you. The people of God, he's basically saying, he's investing in them his authority. To go now, to go, make disciples. Have people that come to faith, see their faith, ask about their faith, talk about it together, see them grow, make disciples, baptize them, teach them obedience. That's the authority I'm giving you, church. That's your role. That's your calling. See them come to faith and grow. He's saying to the disciples, assess their faith and grow. I have all authority. I'm investing it in you to do that. It's intimate involvement, isn't it? An investment, he's saying, in each other's lives. That's the commission. It's not just see them converted. It's yes, that. It's not less than that. But it's also see them grow in faith. See them baptized. See them grow in their knowledge and understanding of what it means to obey and live as a disciple. I have all authority. Now you go and do it too. I've invested it in you. By Christ's authority, he was the ultimate authority. That doesn't sound like Costco, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't sound like Costco. Jesus has placed in all of our lives, myself too, as, as the highest authority, the local church. 
God's people. That's why the health of our church is so important. It's so important. Jesus has placed, let me say it again, in all of our lives, myself too, I come under the authority of the local church. I don't sit at the top as a lead pastor. I too am one of the people of the church. Jesus is placed in all of our lives as the highest authority, the local church, God's people. That's why the health of the church is so important. Now hear this. Please hear this. It's not absolute authority. Who's the head of us? Christ. So we come other, under him. What has he given us to guide as a church? The word of God. So it's not absolute authority, right? We, ha- we are, have allegiance to Christ as the head. We have allegiance to his word to guide us. So if we ever come out from underneath of Christ or we ever teach encounter to his word, you better speak up. You got to speak up. You got to say something. We got to talk about it. But by God's grace, we won't. So if we don't function like a club, then what are we? What are we? We're a kingdom with citizens. I like the the metaphor I read in a book this week that I'm going to quote from today and and highlight at the end. I like this metaphor. We're more like an embassy. We're more like an embassy, the local church. What is that? An embassy is a place, if you've traveled abroad before, that represents the citizens of that embassy inside another host country, right? So the embassy of the United States that's in England or in France or in, uh, you name it, some other country in the world, in Russia, an embassy that represents its citizens inside a host country. So you lose your passport, what do you do? You go to the embassy, right? You need protection or guidance, and you're there as an American in another, uh, a while abroad, in another country, you go to the embassy, don't you? You go there. The church kind of functions like the embassy in the here and now for God's people as we live as aliens, Peter says, as foreigners in a land as we wait for this, the kingdom of the world this day, when finally the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So right now is not then yet. Right, right right now. But we have the church on earth now. A kingdom within a kingdom. A kingdom within a kingdom as we wait for our king to come back. The church, our embassy, as aliens, as, as foreigners. I'm going to quote Jonathan Lehman a few times today. It's where I even got that metaphor. He says there's a place on earth where the citizens of heaven can at this moment find official recognition, an asylum, the local church. Churches represent Christ's rule now. Here's the embassy within the embassy, kingdom within kingdom. They proclaim his laws now, great commission. They bow before him as king now, and they call on all peoples to do the same. It's their job to identify and affirm who belongs to the kingdom and who does not. Do you see how you get when you start looking at the life of church? What we've been called to? Why are we here? What is our purpose? You begin to get a richer appreciation for what God has called the church to be. Really, this is a great commission summary, in other words. It's essentially a great commission summary there. Involved in each other's life, seeing people come to true faith, 
trying to assess that as we teach them to obey here at church, like an embassy, a place of refuge as a foreigner in a foreign land. That's the church. Do you view Bethany Church like that? Ask, let's ask ourselves that. Ask yourself that today. Do you view our local church like that? Or maybe do you see it kind of more like a kind of one-stop shopping place to fill up your spiritual tank on Sunday, which it is that. We're doing that in some ways. Kind of like pulling up to Freddy's for gas. <laughs> we come in on Sunday. Jesus says it. Yes, it's that, but it's so much more. The church. So much more. Now, is it messy? Yes, we can say it. Do we always get it right? No, we do not. Is it always our desire to function like this? No. I'm not pointing fingers today. I admit that that individualistic, self-sufficient, rebellious autonomy courses through my veins too. It does. When I hear this, it's pretty intimate. We're involved in each other's lives like that. Speaking truth and love, some other uh, phrases. I have to recalibrate. I need to hear this. I need this first lens. Here Here it was. We need to recalibrate our understanding of church membership, which leads us to our second one. It's a long one. Sorry. While we may not see explicit membership, hey, here's how you do it. Protocol on the pages of the New Testament. It's implicit everywhere. may not be explicitly laid out. It's implicit everywhere. You might be thinking, hey, all right, that kind of makes sense, but where is membership in the Bible? If we're a Bible-believing church, I better see it in there. Where is membership in the Bible? We think of even Great Commission. I think that starts us getting there. Now, if you're looking for guidelines like how does Costco keep its membership role in the, uh, in the language of the Bible for us, you won't find that. You won't find it. And we don't even use membership language, do we, as, uh, citizen, for citizenship, do we? It would be kind of strange if we said, I'm a member of the United States of America, right? We don't say that, do we? We say, I'm a citizen. I'm a citizen. So it even feels strange, maybe, even though we read in 1 Corinthians the membership language, It might feel strange to use that terminology. But if you think about it, in the New Testament, there was really one church, one local church in each town. And you really didn't have the option to uh, jump down the road to another church, or church hop, you might say, down the road. And think about this. It may even cost you your life to join this group of people. They knew who was in the church. One church in a town, and to be part of it and be baptized publicly could cost you your life. They knew who was a member of that church. You didn't just loosely associate. It wasn't safe to. They knew who was part of it. So as you might not find explicit, it's implicit, I believe, on the pages of the New Testament. So let's do a quick, abbreviated look for time's sake. Let's take a look at Peter's first sermon at Pentecost. Do you remember that? The wind came rushing, the Holy Spirit, in this uh, display of God's power, in this moment. And Peter stands, you remember, and he preaches this wonderful first sermon of this era, this wonderful Christ-centered sermon 
to this massive crowd. And he speaks of Christ's death, his resurrection, his ascension, his reigning on high, and what happens in Acts chapter 2. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter's bold here. He's standing up the first time in public, and he's preaching about Christ to those that maybe were standing there approving of his crucifixion. And he's, it, it's possible that if they follow, if they believe, if they repent, if they're baptized, there's real fear of repercussions. Jesus was a rebel. Jesus caused division. Now they're saying he rose from the dead. And yet Peter says, I want you here right now, in all these people here, to publicly identify yourself off by repenting, faith, and getting baptized. He wants to publicly set apart all that have come to this new movement at that moment. And they even record it there. They're keeping a record. About 3,000 souls were added that day. The church from the day one was counting heads and keeping records by saying, I want you today to take this risk and publicly mark out, I'm following Christ in faith and baptism. Day one with Peter. Well, pretty quickly, by Acts 5, the membership kind of roll, if you want to call it, reaches 5,000, and they begin meeting at homes. Do you remember the story of Acts? And all together, still at the temple. Imagine that. At that time, like 5,000 were meeting together at the temple. That's a lot of people as they gathered there to worship. It's amazing. But then persecution comes, and it starts to scatter the church, and it even spreads outside Jerusalem to Syria, and they keep record of that in Acts. And they care for those over the border now in Syria who are part of the church, who would be considered members of the church as they care for them. And, but then more persecution comes and they scatter further out. And the church even spreads outside Jerusalem and Syria. And they keep record in Acts again as well as they care, uh, as they keep uh, moving outside. And then decades later, all of a sudden, we see Paul writing these letters to local churches writing these letters to local churches. Groups of people who've publicly marked themselves off as part of this new body in a town where Paul maybe hasn't even really been to, or he does get to most of them. And so these letters pop up. The letter to the church of the Galatians in Galatia. The, the letter to the church at the Philippians church. We've been through that one in Philippi. The letter to the church of the Colossians in Colossae. These united bodies of believers in these local towns now who were accountable to each other. Which those letters really show us as Paul names names and says, hey, this is, this is about this issue in the church. This is for this person. Hey, here's the names of these people. And as he personally now addresses these local bodies. Let's take a, a look at a few New Testament verses that speak to this idea of a real corporate local gathering as we continue answering this question, why membership? Uh, let's take this first one. A church that was united in message of Christ alone. They were united in a gathering. Paul writes, when you are assembled, 
That's the church, local, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. One message assembled in one local place, a church. How about this? They were a church unified identity, a corporate local gathering. Acts 11, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. They locally gathered. Unified identity in a place at a time. How about this one? They were church unified in obedience. Remember Jesus? Teach them to obey all I've commanded you. They were unified in obedience and, and, a, and a standard. We're going to talk about that a bit more. And a boundary in behavior for each other because it mattered. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, that doesn't mean to be a member of the church we pull out of society or that we don't have multiple friendships with those who haven't trusted Christ. We want the message to go forward. Go make disciples of all the nations. But yet, Paul says at the deepest, most intimate level, don't lock your life to somebody who's not a member of Christ's church. Don't do that. There's danger there. They were church unified in obedience, Paul says. Oh, how about this? Um, They had also this common united church life together at the beginning of Acts. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole passage. You might know it, but Acts 2, they had all things in common. As they gathered together, they shared, they gave to each other in the church. They knew who they were. They knew who were the members of their church. Acts 2, they're sharing. Take a look at these. Here's a couple more. A couple more for us. They had leaders responsible for specific churches now, a specific flock. To be responsible for a specific flock, you need to know who's part of that flock. First Peter, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, one shepherd, multiple shepherds can't shepherd every church and can be. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Bethany Church. They had leaders responsible for specific Sheep, the flock. They must know who's a member, who they're responsible for, who's in the flock. How do we do this? How do we do this? Well, here's another one. They were members of a local church responsible to their local leadership, too. Obey your leaders and submit to them Hebrews' rights, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So to be part of a local church means also coming underneath the leadership of that church. Here's another one. They had to recognize at times that there would be those who called themselves part of that body that needed to be clearly shown their profession and their behavior didn't line up. God judges those outside, Paul wrote. Purge the evil person from among you. It's heavy. It's heavy. Now, that doesn't mean we kick them out. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, go after them. And in this case, they had, and this person was stubborn, unrepentant, would not see the way of Christ or their call and their love and their intention to bring them back into the fold. But we can't do that with those outside the church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, responsibility in here. 
in here. It's heavy, I know, but the Word speaks it. It's clear by this kind of quick overview that a church, I believe that a church is, a church is its members. A church is its people. And the individuals gathered, as uh, Anna read in 1 Corinthians, they make up a local church. And they know who they are. They know who they are. I mean, you can't really even talk about a local church without the idea that they are members. They're part of something bigger than themselves. So yes, they practiced in a way church membership, even if we don't have a list of their role sheets or exactly how they did it. I don't think you even have to look the same in every church. But they practiced something here. They knew who they were, and the church was, at the very least, its gathered members. But why is it so important? I mean, you might be saying, well, I I attend here. You might be thinking, I've been attending here for years. Just call me a member already. Let's let's say the benediction, and I, I got lunch ready. Let's go. Why is it so important? I'm here. I've been here for decades. Call me a member. Our third lens is going to help us out. Our third and fourth. Our third and fourth lens are going to help us out as we answer this. What is the church? Let's take a minute. What is the church? And here it is. We are the representatives of God on earth. You and I. The church is the representatives of God on earth. You know, initially as we talked through, even in our Ruth series, we saw that God's covenant people, Israel, were the nation of Israel, His covenant people. And their job, even as we saw in that whole book, was to let the world know what God was like as they humbly loved each other and sacrificed for each other and brought in an outsider, a Gentile Ruth, and, and, and into the community. That was their job. Their job was to image God on earth in the land, in the law, in the covenants, in obedience. That was their job. But as we know, in some very big ways, they failed that. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 3 that uh, they had. And the axe was being laid to the root, he said. And God would raise up people to speak for him and image him, even from the stones if he had to. They failed to represent God rightly. So then when Jesus came to earth, he came as God's representative. God's representative on earth. And now, those who he died for, who would would trust him, that he brought in as citizens into God's kingdom, would now be God's representatives on earth. I want us to think about that for a minute. Jesus left in our hands, in our hands, the job to image God on earth. Now, he didn't leave us alone. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We're not alone. But we are responsible to image God through Christ's work in Canby. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, a big, that's a big thing. A big calling. It's, a, it's in some ways a little bit intimidating and scary. Really, God? Really, Christ? You, you, you've left it to us? Us? Here's what he says about being the image of God. Here is Romans 8, 29. 
We're responsible because we image Christ. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, what? To the image of the Son. There it is. We're called to image God on the earth in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. How about this? 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see the weightiness? And that's just a few, a couple little verses there. But you see the weightiness of what he's called the church to? It's in line of Matthew 28, too. Most people today would say, you know, if we went outside and said, hey, Bethany Church is here. We're in the community. We exist. Uh, we're here to image God for you. They'd be like, who are you? How dare you say you speak for God? But that's what he's commissioned us to do. Not on our own, not flippantly. We have his word. So it matters. It matters that people who say they're part of this great mission and part of God's kingdom then represent him well because we're called to do that. But here's the catch. To be in Israel, to be part of that old covenant kingdom whose job it was to represent God on earth, there were really clear markers, weren't there? You could really know. There was the land. There was the Sabbath. There was the dietary restrictions. There was the borders of the land. There was something called circumcision. There were some really clear ways they identified who was part of the group that was called to image God to the world. Really clear identifying markers. Our kingdom now, though, has no borders, has no official land, no geographic place, right? No geography and uh, not, no certain, certainly no restrictive uh, dietary laws that we all uh, subscribe to. And, and anyone really can say, can they not? I'm a citizen of this kingdom. I, I'm a Christian. Anybody can say that now in this room or anywhere, any church around the world, and yet being called to image God by their life, their action, their words, denigrate the name of Christ and the mission and what he did for us on the cross. Christ's name and his work. We're called to image God. It's, it's, it's kind of serious stuff if we think about it. And Jesus himself even spoke of imposters that on that last day would say, we called you Lord. We prophesied in your name. And he'll say, depart from me. So this is the case. And the calling of the church now is to image God. Doesn't it ma- raise the, 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 the meaningfulness and the responsibility of being part of the body, or might, you might say a member, and knowing even who actually, as best we can in a given church, has really professed faith and loves Christ and, is, and has repented and believed and is now going to image God? That's why I like uh, Lehman's definition again. It kind of raises the bar for us and the responsibility we have to each other. Here's what he says. A local church then is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through the gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. That's baptism, Lord's Supper. Jesus passed on the authority to the church And we have a responsibility to each other. One another, 
I do, you do, we do. Do you see how it's different than just being part of Costco? It is, isn't it? Or your, um, I don't know, what's the Steak of the Month Club. Did anybody get those? I, I wish I did. Steak of the Month Club or your, your uh, Rotary or Chamber of Commerce or what, whatever club we want to think of or, or book club. Those are all good things. Nothing wrong with any of those. But as we look at this, to be part of a church is nothing like being part of Costco. Can we pray, Bethany Church? Can we pray that we will joyfully move towards embracing more and more a richer, more robust, more engaged, unified view of what is the church? What is it? Well, Jesus even went further with Peter and the church. In one of the most debated passages in the Bible, in one sense, but for our purpose it's pretty clear, it's one of the two times Jesus uses the word church in the Gospels. Do you know what they are? There's only two times. Take a look uh, from Matthew 16. He said, I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. That's kind of where all the debate is, is, is. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus is saying the keys of heaven have been given to the church. To the church. And the message of the gospel, the word, and our confession, and our believing it. It's astounding. It's astounding. And with that responsibility there to bind and loose, it's sort of a, it's kind of the language of a rabbi who would take the law and say, yes, we are bound to this because of the law. Or no, you're loosed from that. That's not a, a, quite the interpretation or the place. Uh, you're bound and loose that the rabbis, that's the kind of language that Jesus is saying there as he talks now to Peter and in light of that, the church. And with that, he's saying the responsibility for the church is to announce official truth, image God, and do the best of our ability to discern, to discern and give a declaration of when somebody comes and professes faith. That's what Jesus is saying. Binding and loosing the keys of the kingdom as they come to you. Peter and church moving forward. I give you this authority to the best of our ability. And really, it's making disciples again, Matthew 28, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey, being involved in their lives and saying, yes, we know each other. I can give to the best of my ability. I affirm another fellow believer. I affirm God working in you. I affirm a true confession. That's what's taking place here with Peter. It's my hope this morning that as we grow in our understanding, too, of the gospel and who we are, I love how Mark Dever says in this quote, it should come as no surprise then that bringing our understandings of evangelism, conversion, and the gospel more in line with the Bible has implications then for the way we even view or conceive church membership. We'll begin to view membership less as a loose affiliation, useful only on occasion, and more as a, it's a regular responsibility involving us in another, one another's lives for the purpose of the gospel. Not just to fill up some membership role. That's not about, it's not our numbers, but we want to be involved in each other's lives for the purpose of the gospel. That's what it's about. Oh, when you see your calling 
I see my calling and my responsibility and your responsibility. My prayers will desire even more and more to jump into this life with God's people here. Even keeping each other accountable, spurring one another on, encouraging one another, speaking truth and love to one another. How else will we grow and change and keep moving forward, Bethany Church? When you come into citizenship in God's kingdom, you're united to this body, our body, the body. It's our fourth lens. Who is a church member? One who declares citizenship in Christ's kingdom. We heard in 1 Corinthians 12, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Remember that embassy metaphor. Becoming a citizen then of God's kingdom makes you a member, first and foremost, of the universal church. Uh, No need of official church membership to be part of God's church. You profess faith. It is real. You've been converted, born again. You are part of the church. Big capital C universal church of all time. But with the responsibility we've seen the church has to image God and the God-given authority here we have to all lean into each other's lives to verify and hold each other accountable. And you might even say uh, verify their passport, that embassy metaphor, their confession of faith. And then the responsibility that leaders have and the accountability that myself, the elders of this church, or any other leader is going to have to give. We're going back to that Hebrews 13 passage, but more fuller now because I want us to see all of it. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. They'll have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to all of us, to you, to me, all of us. As leaders, we will have to stand before God and give an account of how we cared for the flock. But you will too, as we live and love one another and care for one another, how we treated each other. So it it matters. It matters. It matters. I think it's not going to be just, hey, did you get them saved? God's going to ask. He's going to say, how did you care for them once they came in the flock? Did you check in? Did you verify what they really believed that they said they believed? Did you come alongside them to see them grow? That accountability, I think, is richer than just, hey, did you get them to attend? It's were they part of that flock in a meaningful way. And leader, did you do your best to see that in cooperation with the Spirit and His Word? Add to that all the metaphors of the Bible which point to our accountability to each other. We're not going through all of them, don't worry. I just wanted you to see at least the gravity of, and I don't think it's all of them, but the body of Christ, the church of the living God, the flock, God's building, uh, the, the Lamb's wife, the people of God, the temple of God, one body, the church, the city of God, the flock of God, God's field, the vine, the branch. If you add to that, that, that those metaphors of the body, which point to our accountability with one another and unity, we have a big responsibility as the church to the world, and a big responsibility to each other. That's not even message, uh, mentioning the one another passages there. How do we live that unless we know who's the other? One another. Uh, here's Jonathan Lehman one more time. Long definition sorter, which is why I put him in the notes. They're a little clunky, but I think they're 
fairly clear. Church membership, then, is a formal relationship between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's mission to live out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. We're not left alone. We're a flock. You begin to see why many churches, and I would probably be the majority, with all the responsibility and all the gravity of what we're called to do and love and care that we're to have for each other, set up some process, some process, just to help make this a reality. Just some process. Like I said, it looks different in all kinds of churches. But you can, I hope at least, begin to see that. Okay, I can see why we would do some process here. If it really is, we're called to image God. And if we're really supposed to be that intimately involved in each other's lives, I would see, and if leaders are, are, are going to be held accountable someday, I could see why a pastor might want to say, hey, let's sit down. Let me hear about what you believe about Christ. That's really what we're getting at. Let me hear, what do you believe the gospel is? It's not that scary. It's just we want to work together at this. And, you know, just so we know, this, is, this isn't something new for Bethany Church. We've been practicing this for um, over 100 years. We have the... Um, we follow the wisdom of our founders as we talk about this today, our, our history. Here's this little book. You'll see a picture of it coming up on the screen behind me. It says on the front, you can, it's hard to see, but it says Constitution and Bylaws and Records of Church Members. It's, it, it stays in Joy's office in a safe um, because it's, it's old. It's older than us, I think. Yes, I think everybody in this room. Um, it, we follow the wisdom of our founders. And you start to open some of these pages. Let's go to one in there. You can see. It's hard to see on that one. But we've got people's names there as they kept a record and wrote it down who was added to the flock. We see it there. And we go one more page. Let's go to that next one, Dan. We have Merton Ellis. So this is 1927. You see the top left there? New members joined. Merton Ellis, Marion Grace Ellis, Laura Ellis. Anybody know the Ellis family or know of their history? A few people? Okay. Yeah, Janine. Goes down Agnes Beck, Lawrence Beck, Jens Anderson, Louise Anderson. They came before us. And they loved Christ. And they loved His church. And so they had some process in 1927 january 16th there you see um march 13th there which is uh yeah close to where we're at now february um where they wrote this down and they had some process where they said well new, adding new members and who's part of the flock and uh, we love christ and so we're keeping each other accountable and i'll even let you put my name down i'm here i'm all in i'm coming into this church we're following the wisdom of saints that have come way before us how cool is it we still have that, that little uh, book with the, the names in it. We too join in this long list when we embrace that local church membership. And just being some part, part of something bigger than ourselves. Even if it means, hey, sitting in the class for a couple times. Even if it means saying, hey, I just want to know what you believe and, hey, and I want to just hear, hey, tell me what you love about Christ. Tell me what he's done for you. That's really all we're talking about here when we say, you know, we call it formal, but we really just want to know 
who's here, why you're here. And many of you are members of, uh, local members of Bethany Church, even as part of the universal church. So from 1927, from the book of Acts, to 1927, to 2018. And here's what I love about it. Here's really the heart behind it. It's not, not really just, hey, a formal, let's get a roll. Here, there's a heart behind it. I want us to catch the spirit of it more than anything. Let's close with this quote. It will make our wish, witness to non-Christians more clear. It will make it more difficult for weaker sheep to go straying from the fold while still considering themselves sheep. It will help to give shape and focus to the discipleship of more mature Christians. It will aid our church leaders in knowing exactly who's here, who they're responsible for. In all of this, and here's the spirit of it, God will be glorified. God will be glorified because His church will care and His church will lean in and His church will grow and His church will mature and His church will grab people who are on the outskirts who are almost ready to say, I'm done with this. That's what the purpose is. That's what the Spirit is. That's the heart behind it. That's the why of church membership through four lenses. Let's pray. God, we thank You for giving us Your Word. We thank You for, I think, probably even challenging us today. I was challenged this week as I went back to why would we practice this? I pray, God, that you'd work in our hearts here to let us all see in this room the spirit of, the heart behind, the history of your people taking it seriously. Who's part of the church? Doesn't mean there's a hierarchy. Doesn't mean there's a class system. It just means we love each other and want to be involved in each other's lives as we profess faith, as we baptize, as we seek to obey and fulfill that great commission. Let us lean in towards each other rather than run towards the isolation and individualism that our culture loves to push us towards. Let us push back in a countercultural way even as we continue this process here that's been going on for 100 years of church membership. May we see the blessing in it, the value in it, and God, as we finish that quote, may it be something that glorifies you, not a list or a roster, the glory of your name and the health of Bethany Church here in Canby. Christ's name we pray. Amen.